All right, if you can uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read verses 9 through 15. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. You can find it on page 1504 in your Pew Bibles. 1504. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, then your Father will not forgive your sins. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it find that their prayers are heard by their Father in heaven. <coughs> Growing up, I, I loved to play basketball. And this is a, the season for basketball, is it not? March Madness. But when I was in eighth grade, my, my family had moved to a new town, and I began a new school and joined a new basketball team. And this team was a bit more competitive than my seventh grade team. They, they, they ran a full-court press for the whole game, something that I had never even done before. Now, all of, the, all of the other players had learned how to do this the previous year. They, both, they knew both where to be and, and what to do. I, on the other hand, I, I was clueless. And, and my coach, he, he never really took the time to, to show me how. And so I was always being yelled at, because I was constantly in the wrong spot and, and doing the wrong thing. It was a case of being told what not to do without any instruction on what to do. Fortunately, our, our, our Lord is a much better coach. He, he not only tells us what not to do, but he also instructs us on how to do it correctly. Now, if you, if you recall, we've been going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we've reached a point where Jesus was warning his disciples not to do their acts of righteousness to be seen by men. And, and there was three areas of concern that Jesus wanted to stress. The giving of alms, prayer, and fasting. Two weeks ago, we spoke about giving to the poor. And we learned that one shouldn't give to earn, earn the praises of men. Rather, they should give because they love God and because they love their neighbors. And then last week, we, we began our discussion on prayer. And we saw that Jesus had warned his disciples not to pray like the hypocrites, to be seen by men. And instead, they should, should pray in secret out of a desire to connect with their Father. 
But Jesus also gave a second warning not to pray like the pagans. They were the ones who, who thought that their gods were distant and, and needed to be manipulated through these ritual practices. It is this second warning that informs our text for today. For, for Jesus will teach us how to pray in a manner that is both simple and without manipulative intentions. Which leads us to our first verse. Look at verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Now, notice the wording here. Jesus isn't telling you that this is what you should pray, but how you should pray. In other words, he is, he is giving us a model to follow, and not some liturgical formula. This, this isn't to say that you should never pray it liturgically. I mean, we do this every week, don't we? We, we, we pray this prayer word for word every single week. And my hope is that, is that it has been ingrained in your hearts and in your minds so that when you leave from here, that it will shape the way you pray every other day of the week. But, but if you view this prayer as, as some type of incantation or, or only in its liturgical setting, then, then you've missed the point. Jesus is giving you a framework, a framework of how to pray and not what to pray. With that being said, how then are we to pray? Before we jump into this prayer, I want to I give you a simple outline so that you can see the direction that Christ is taking us. First, in, in verses 9 and 10, there, there is a focus on, on God and His glory. One, on the, on the glory of His name, but two, on the glory of His kingdom. And then in verses 11 through 13, the, the, the focus shifts to us. In our daily needs, which is bread, forgiveness, and deliverance. This is a simple outline because it is a simple prayer. Let's look at the rest of verse 9 and see what we can learn about God's glory. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First, Jesus deals with the who. Who are you praying to? He chooses the name Father. Now this address is particularly unique to Jesus. For, for the Jews of Jesus' day would, would pray using many descriptive titles for God, things that would signify God's sovereignty or His glory or His grace or majesty, His holiness. But they would never use a term that would make God seem close and familiar. What, what, what Jesus is doing here is he was, he was shaking up their paradigm of how one relates to their creator. God isn't distant and cold. Rather, he is near to your heart. Very similar to a father. But just because he is close, it doesn't mean that he is also not distant. 
for he is our Father in heaven. And so we, we see this tension when it comes to God. He is both near and far. His, his throne room is in another realm. This is why in his, in his letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul tells us that God dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. And this is why his name is hallowed or holy. He is separate. He is distinct from all of his creation. There is something sacred about him. And because of that, his name should not be despised. So, so when you pray, you must realize that you are approaching the unapproachable. And yet at the same time, you can come to him with confidence because he is like a father to you. It is both awe and warmth. <clears throat> So now we know who we are praying to, but what should we pray? Look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> if there is a sense of trepidation in approaching the throne, then there is also danger in making your requests. For it is, a, it is a giving up of your own will and coming under the sovereignty of God's. Jesus uh, phrases this, the same idea in two different manners. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This word kingdom refers to God's reign. It is where he holds authority. It's where his will is accomplished. And so in, in one sense, you are to look to the expansion of this kingdom, your kingdom come. This means that you should, you should pray for the gospel to go out to all men, that, that people would find entrance into this kingdom through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But it also means that, that God's kingdom would expand within yourself. It is a petition asking God to help you let go of your own desires and to grab hold of the will of your Father in heaven. This is why, why pray, this prayer is so dangerous. For, for, for prayer in line with God's will may lead to things that in your own wisdom you don't really want. For instance... What if in God's greater purpose, he is calling you to suffer? What if in the expansion of his kingdom, he chooses to send your loved ones far from home? Another way to look at this prayer is like this. Father, help me to align my will to your will. Help me to see things from your perspective. You see, the, the, the focus is, is not on your glory, but on His. We don't pray to get what we want, but we pray to conform our desires 
to what he wants. And yet, like a loving father, God understands that you have needs as well. Thus, Jesus now switches the focus from the Father to you, from his will to your needs. Look at verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. <clears throat> when I lived in Thailand, the people had a saying, Ginkao. It means eat rice. And they would say this for every meal. You see, rice is their staple food. And so when they eat, even if they are not eating rice, they say, gin cow. For in the back of their mind, they connect rice with their daily needs. The Jews of Jesus' day viewed bread in a similar fashion. Praying for your daily bread is a prayer for all of your everyday physical needs. Now what this, what this prayer is not saying is that one shouldn't work and just simply trust, sit there and trust in God to provide for everything. Uh, no, that's, that's not what he's saying. Praying for bread is a prayer for, for all good things, even one's own ability to work with their hands and earn a living. This is a, this is a prayer for, for, for your basic necessities. And one of your basic needs is the ability to work. But even in your own strength, you can, you can only work with what God has given to you. A farmer will, will only see the fruit of his labors if God provides the rain and the sun. Uh, a car salesman will only sell cars if, if there are people willing to buy them, right? And so this, this prayer for our, our daily bread is a prayer for, for our physical needs that can only come from your Father in heaven. But it's not just food that we need daily. Look at verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now I find it interesting that Jesus would use the word debt here instead of sin. For we know that he is talking about sin, given the context of verses 14 and 15. But Jesus chose the word debt for a reason. You see, he, he wants you to look at your own sins in a certain light. He wants you to view them as a debt that you owe. If we look a little further in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus expands on this very theme. Look at Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the, the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. 
The servant's master took pity on him, canceled, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and, and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat, treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This story highlights what Jesus is getting at when he says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a prayer petitioning God to give you the willingness and the humility that it takes to forgive others. It, it is asking Him to, to help you understand the, the mountain of debt that is your sin, that you owe to God, in order that you can cancel the tiny anthill of debt that are the sins of others committed against you. And so when you go to your father in prayer, bringing your sins to him, asking for that cancellation, Jesus wants you to realize that the same cancellation should be transferred to others as well. And to reinforce this very point, Christ gives us these extra words in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. There is a, a correlation between the forgiveness of the Father and your forgiveness of others. The one should lead to the other. This is the outcome of simple faith in the gospel. I mean, I mean, think about it. If you truly believe that Jesus paid for your sins upon the cross, and not just some of your sins, but, but for all of your sins, that he, that, that he shed His blood and He canceled the mighty weight that was your debt, if you believe that Jesus did all of this for you, then how could you not forgive the, the, the minuscule sins that have been committed against you. True saving faith will lead you to forgive others. Dear friends, if you haven't forgiven others, if you're, if you're still holding on to a grudge, then this warning from our Lord is for you. Perhaps you don't have true saving faith. If this is you, 
You need to repent and look to the cross. Trust in Jesus, that that he took care of that, that mountain of debt. For only in him can your sins be wiped clean. Well, the petition for forgiveness leads to our final, our final petition as well. Look at, look at verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. From the Apostle James, we learn that, that, that God does not tempt anyone. Look at, look at James 1, verses 13 and 14. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Temptation comes from one's own evil desire, from their own sinful nature. And so this last plea, Jesus teaches you that you need to be rescued from yourself. You need God's help in overcoming the wickedness of your own flesh. You can't do it on your own strength. You need a Savior. But but it's not just from yourself from whom you need saving. For you have an enemy as well. Just as Eve was tempted in the garden by the serpent, so too does Satan want to tempt you. And without God's deliverance, you are helpless against your enemy. Now, when you look at these three petitions, our daily bread, forgiveness, and deliverance, you're going to find a common trait. And that trait is this, that you are reliant upon God for all of your needs, whether they are physical or whether they are spiritual. And this this fact, this fact alone should bring you to your knees. In essence, the the last half of of this prayer is is a confession that you are poor and needy. But if you take another step back and look at the, at the whole of the Lord's Prayer, of, of how Jesus teaches you to pray, what do you see? Look at that outline again. What do you see? You see an acknowledgement of a holy and all-powerful God and a needy beggar surrendering to his will. Brothers, sisters, this this is a prayer that is simple, and yet it is is deep as the oceans are deep. For for in this prayer you find a God who is is righteous and transcendent, while at the same time he is a God who condescends to your level. He is close to you, allowing him to call, allowing you to call him Father. And unlike those pagans who, who, who babble endlessly in the hopes of fulfilling their own will, Jesus teaches you to pray simply, 
seeking His will. And you are to trust in Him for all that you have, for all of your needs, both physical and spiritual. These are simple but important things like bread and forgiveness and deliverance. And when you pray this way, you can be certain that your Father in heaven will hear your words and bring to you His peace. Look at Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Praying a prayer like this will bring peace to you. On a last note, I want to point out one more thing. Did you notice that all the references of the petitioner were plural? Our Father, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us. Deliver us. Last week, we saw, Jesus commanded, we saw that Jesus commanded us to pray in secret. But in, this, in, in the same breath, he, he teaches us to pray in fellowship as well. And I can think of no more fitting way to, to end this sermon than if we all prayed together the Lord's Prayer. Let's, let's bow our heads. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.